happened here in this passage of Scripture that we've read. We have a people that have redefined the truths of God and put something else in their place. And the people of God need to come to a place where they just say, no, I'm not going to let that be. I'm not going to surrender the truth to the traditions of men. And that's exactly what all of this stuff that's going on today is about. We have the, uh, the accepted traditions that are false being suppl uh, supplanting the truths that uh, all of us know are true. And so we have that happening here in the passage we read. We have the condition, first of all, that I want to look at tonight. The condition, I want to look at the correction and then the cure uh, for all of this. So the condition, first of all, is, is uh, uh, three things. Three things that you see in the passage we read. Uh, number one, the condition is that tradition had been uh, replaced, uh, had taken the place of truth. Tradition had supplanted the truth. In the garden season, which we're just entering into now, people are preparing their gardens. Anybody going to do a garden this year or have you given up on that idea? All right. Uh, yeah, some, all right. Amen, Brother Dick and, and Christine going to try theirs again this year and try to keep the rabbits out of it. They have a pet rabbit, though, so I don't know how that's going to work out. Uh, but uh, growing a garden, it's, starting, it's the time of year to start. My neighbor, Sean, was out the other day and I was pulled by and visit with him a little bit, and um, he was uh, digging and uh, preparing the soil for his garden. And so it is uh, garden season. But a garden, it often it happens this way. There's a great start and a great desire, and the planting and the plants begin to come up, but uh, the cares of this world and the, uh, the interferences of life come along, and we, uh, we miss a day or two or a week of tending the garden and soon the garden is replaced by a weed patch. And so we have a weed patch growing there instead of a garden because the, the garden was left untended. And so it is with what we see happening here. The garden of truth left untended by those that were commissioned to keep the truth has turned into a weed patch. And here the Pharisees are uh, making an um, assessment of what the disciples are here doing, and they're, uh, they're shocked at uh, what is going on. The Pharisees are making an accusation. They're saying a transgression has taken place. And indeed, a transgression had taken place. The transgression was a transgression of the traditions of the elders. It was a breaking of the traditions of the elders, so it was a transgression, but it was not a transgression against God. The passage shows us what happened. They saw the disciples eating food with unwashed hands. And so, uh, you know, we, um, we have uh, certainly been, we've certainly been focused on washing our hands and, and that. And so uh, certainly Jesus isn't against the idea of washing our hands, but uh, the, uh, the disciples, the uh, Pharisees, of course, had carried it into a ceremonial aspect to the point where it became uh, absolute, an absolute necessity to fulfill the rituals that the Pharisees had demanded of the people before they would eat. The tradition was that it was possible for you to, uh, to have demons enter your body if you touched your food with unwashed hands and then you ate the food. That was an avenue supposedly taught by some rabbis that, you, that devils could enter into you through that avenue. So they c created this very elaborate system of uh, the hand washing and the ritual that went with it and, and so on like that. The disciples were guilty of, of offending in that way. 
the uh, tradition of the elders is what they had transgressed. But there was a far greater transgression than that. And the elders were guilty of that transgression. The Lord Jesus pointed out their sin as he demonstrated to them that they had supplanted truth with their traditions. They were guilty of breaking one of the fundamental commands of God. Of all the commandments that uh, we read in the scripture, there are over 600 uh, commandments given to the Jews in the Old Testament. There's over 630 of them. 633, I think it is. Somebody counted them up. And uh, of all those, the, the most important and the most uh, widely known and the most uh, applicable to every circumstance would be the Ten Commandments. And so um, the Ten Commandments certainly have validity, not just in the system of the Hebrews and in Judaism, but they have validity in every culture, in every civilized culture, the foundational truths that can hold a culture together uh, would, would be based in some fashion or manner the Ten Commandments. So these commandments certainly are, are um, fundamental to anything that, uh, to any Jew that desires at all to, to uh, honor God with his life. These commandments are fundamental to that. But uh, Jesus points out here that by the tradition of the elders, they had transgressed even the most fundamental of the commandments, the idea, the ideal of honoring father and mother. And here's what the elders had concluded. You know, it's a lot of trouble. It's a lot of difficulty. And, and I've got my life and my, you know, parents, uh, they, uh, you know, they require care, but uh, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not so gung-ho about giving that care. And so... Uh, over a period of time, the traditions became such that, as Jesus pointed out here, what they had ended up saying and concluding was that, hey, mom and dad, I'll honor you, and if I do honor you, it's up to me whether I honor you or not. It's up to me whether I take care of you or help meet your needs or not. Uh, I'm free from any, any obligation. It's just a, it's not an obligation. It is a benefit that I'll give you if I want to. That's basically the attitude that they had. It's a gift uh, rather than an obligation. You say, whosoever, verse 5, shall say to his father or his mother, it is a gift by whatsoever thou might be profited by me. Uh, so uh, anything I do for you, you just need to count that a gift, not an obligation, mom, not an obligation, dad. I don't owe you anything. And that was the attitude that was conveyed in this transgression of the law. Jesus points this attitude out. Certainly he knows all things and he must know that some of those he's speaking to have been guilty of this very sin of neglecting their responsibilities as to their parents and honoring their parents, taking care of them in the latter years of their life in their time of need. And so, they, so he points that out to them and says, here's the, here's the far greater transgression. He agreed with them that the disciples had transgressed their law, their traditions, and he did not quarrel with them about that. He didn't say to them, no, my disciples haven't, haven't broken the tradition. They've, they've washed their hands. You just missed it. Uh, he didn't say anything like that. He said, yeah, they, they ate with unwashed hands. And I know that that uh, breaks one of your commandments, one of your traditions that you have. I know that that does that. But let me tell you uh, something far more serious than, than uh, what they've done against your tradition and what you've done against God's word. 
So it was. So the, um, the tradition had supplanted the, the truth. The, the conditions were also related to uh, something else. And that is that the externals had supplanted the internals. The importance of the externals had become the focus and the importance of the internals had become neglected. The words of the mouth and the lips uh, said one thing while the heart said something else. In verse 8 there, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's the second condition they found themselves in. Now, we see that with them. How might we do that? How might we be guilty of the same thing? We could do the same thing. We might be singing a hymn and the words are coming out of our mouth and our lips are forming the sentences and we're saying them and singing them with our mouth and our lips, but our heart may be far away from the message of the song. Our heart may be altogether someplace else. Our heart may be cold as we are able to, by memory uh, and rote, speak the words and sing the words with our mouth and our lips when our heart is far from the Lord. So we might, we might be found in the same error as the Pharisees who we so readily condemn uh, when we ourselves may be guilty of the same. So how can we avoid that? How can we avoid that? Well, it's not by just you know, trying to be more enthusiastic with our words or to be more um, expressive with our lips. The way we avoid that, of course, is to deal with where the source is, and that's the heart. To deal with our, our heart and to make sure that our heart is in the right place when we sing these songs of praise. When we read the word from God's word, our heart is in the right place. I know that you, like me, have experienced times when you've read a whole chapter and you have been thinking about something else because the, uh, the devil is a master at getting us sidetracked in mind and heart onto something else that seems pressing at the moment. And so we've, by our routine and because we have committed to read the scriptures daily, we have done that, but uh, it's, it's not gotten into the heart. So we have the responsibility of affecting a change by staying, staying at work in the heart in those matters. So the externals in their case, and sometimes unfortunately in our own case, the externals can become more important than the internal. And we need to work at that as well. It's a change, not in the words, but in the work of the heart. And so... We have that. A third condition is this. The commandments of men had taken the place of the commandments of God. The commandments of men had taken the place of the commandments of God. And it's easy to do. Uh, we, you know, people like to know that uh, they're accepted. We like to know that we are embraced by others. We like to know that we are appreciated, all those things that we all like. And so sometimes we can, even maybe unknowingly, uh, uh, temper and direct our, our uh, thinking and our, our uh, efforts to the pleasing of men rather than the pleasing of God. And such had been the case here. These persons were working hard to please the commands and the demands of the Pharisees and to be accepted into the system, to be part. You can read over and over in the scriptures and the gospels 
how uh, frightened people were about the possibility of being put out of the uh, synagogue. How they, uh, how they did not, uh, they, they did not like to think of the, of the prospect of being put out of the synagogue. The parents of the, uh, the one that Jesus healed the eyes of were, were not really willing to say all that was in their heart about what Jesus had done for their son because they, were fear, they feared being put out of the synagogue. It was a powerful incentive. They wanted to be accepted in this synagogue. They wanted to be a part. They wanted to believe that, uh, you know, they, they had a secure place. So it was that they uh, had, the Jews had come to the place where they were more concerned about keeping up with the traditions of the elders than they were with keeping up with the Word of God. And that's a bad spot to be, the commandments of men becoming more important than the commandments of God. Peter finally got it when he said, look, guys, you know, um, if God tells me to do this and you're telling me not to do it, I'm going to go ahead and obey the higher power, you know. And regardless of what you have to say and what your traditions have to say, what your commandments have to say, they do not supplant the word of God. So, um, so go ahead and beat me if you have to, kill me if you have to, but I can't, I can't uh, deny my Lord. I have to uh, obey him rather than men. And so he, was, he had come to that place where he understood the importance of the commandments of God, taking the, uh, uh, taking the uh, uh, superior position to the commandments of men. So those three conditions were existing there. The truth had been supplanted by tradition. The externals had been supplanted by the... In, uh, the internal had been supplanted by the external. And the commandments of God had been supplanted by the commandments of men. So the correction is given to us in verse 10 through 20. Uh, the first thing that happens is the elders have to sit down and Jesus has to stand up. That's what's the first thing that has to happen. They called the multitude, uh, he called the multitude together and said unto them, Hear and understand. So elders, shut up and sit down. We don't want to hear any more of your traditions taught. We want to hear from the word of the Lord Jesus himself. So the elders sit down and Jesus steps up. That's the first correction that has to take place. The focus has to get on the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, the word of God, rather than the words of men. That's a good thing to get, a good place to get. Now we need to also, if we're going to correct this thing, we're going to need to recognize the real source of defilement. And that's what he says in verse 11. Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth defileth a man. Mother is always mortified when the children pick up dirt and put it in their mouth. <laughs> and she's saying, you've been defiled, <laughs> you know. But the little child quoting the scripture can say, no, mother. <laughs> Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth, but that which cometh out is what defileth. And so, uh, yeah, kids need to learn the scriptures in that regard. And the um, idea of uh, coming to the table without your hands washed, that's a, that's a, 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 a moral necessity to most moms. Kids, did you wash your hands? And uh, if not, you know, go back and wash your hands before you eat. You know, in our case, it's just general good hygiene. But in their case, it was a ritual that had to be observed, or devils would enter into the prospect of devils entering in would be the case there. So, kids that know the scriptures, uh, you know, love these verses. You know, that says uh, it's not. There's nothing wrong with eating with unwashed hands. So, uh, uh, Abraham, next time mom says, wash your hands, just say, Mom, you know what the Bible says about that. So, <laughs> so quote the scripture, and uh, that'll take care of it. You, won't, you can eat without washing your hands. It won't kill you. It won't kill you. Uh, 
And Jesus says why it won't kill you. He says, because you've got a digestive system that I've given you. And in your digestive system, you've got a belly. Your belly will take care of all those problems and it'll, what's left over will pass out into the draft. He's pretty, you know, he's pretty thorough in his biology there, but that's what uh, happens. Uh, it goes through. He says these things are just going to go in you and go back out of you again. Anything you don't need is going to go back out of you again. So that's not where the defilement is going to come from, from the food you eat or whether the condition of your hands is or where, where your hands, what your hands have touched before you touch the food. It's not where you're going to be defiled from. He says the defiled is fr from what? What's inside coming out. It's not what's outside going in. It's what's inside coming out. And so uh, the, the correction involves finding the true source of the defilement. The elders were guilty of tending to the weeds and letting the plants uh, be destroyed. That's what the elders were guilty of. It, he, he alludes to that idea, that illustration in verse 12 and 13. He said, um, and then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? And he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Doesn't that put us in mind of another passage in Scripture where he spoke of the parable of the wheat and the tares and he said, Let them both grow together until the harvest and uh, then the angels will come and they'll take the tares out and put them in the fire and they'll harvest in the wheat. There's a separation coming. And God said, I'm going to pluck up everything that I didn't plant. It's not the plant that came from me. I'm going to pluck up all the weeds and they're going to be burned. But the plants uh, uh, will grow to, fr to bear fruit. <clears throat> so, uh, so to recognize the source of the defilement was an important thing. Jesus is separating there the wheat from the weeds. And he said, uh, you know, the wheat's going to be gathered into the barn. The weeds are going to be burned. So um, in verse 14, he adds to the, uh, to the question. He adds to the correction. Verse uh, 14, he tells us there. He says, um, let them alone. They be blind, leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. He's saying there, that you've been following blind guides and blind folks don't make good guides. You know, they just don't. Um, you're probably not going to ask Brother Itteraldi, Brother Itteraldi, would you drive me over to Walmart? It'd be a scary ride for us to have Brother Itteraldi drive us over to Walmart, you know, because Brother Itteraldi can't see, you know. I drove, uh, I rode with Aubrey Bagley uh, in the latter years of his ability to see and it was a scary thing. Uh, to go out on visitation with Brother Bagley because uh, he drove by faith, you know, and he believed those bumps in the road were, you know, were those um, Braille markers, you know, and that's how he drove, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was a scary, scary thing, but uh, that is generally the case. You're not, you're not going to go to one who is blind to ask him for guidance down the road. And such was the case with these Pharisees. He says to the, uh, to the disciples, look, don't look to them for guidance. They're the blind leading the blind. Don't look to them for guidance. And so uh, that's, uh, that truth is applied in correcting this question of defilement. So he tells them, he teaches them to understand the means of defilement, as you see in verse 17. Uh, yet did you, uh, do, do you not yet understand that whatsoever entereth in the mouth goeth into the belly and cast out the draft. But those things which proceed out of the mouth uh, come 
forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart, out of the heart, proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, theft, false witness, blasphemies. Added to the list is Mark's account of it. He adds to that list. He said, from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and defile the man. So in order to correct this, we need to understand the source of defilement is not from without, but from within, from inside. And all of these things come up out of the heart before they exit out of our mouth. All these things are not speech problems, they're heart problems, and that's the source of the issue. So we correct the problem, uh, we deal with the problem by coming to the source of the problem. They'll, the problem be corrected from the heart and not from the, a change in the speech or a change in the mouth, a change in the lips, uh, a change in your intonation of the words. That's not uh, where it's going to come from. It's got to come from a change in the heart. And that's the cure. That's the cure that we need to come to. It's uh, not more religion that we need. It's not more rituals that we need. It's not more rules that we need. We don't need more of any of that. We have plenty, thank you, and men, and men add to it all the time. Have you ever, have you ever seen the volume of um, the current laws on the books of our nation? Uh, have you ever seen uh, the images of it? There's those that have put together um, images with, uh, with um, uh, all of the laws that are currently on the books. And no one even knows what all the laws are that are currently on the books. Uh, but uh, they, and they add to them and add to them and add to them without taking others away year after year. I'm certain there are thousands of laws that contradict the other laws that are already written in the books. And so it's not a matter of adding more rules. The Democratic left in our, uh, in our nation seems to think that by the continual addition of more rules and regulations, uh, we will finally get it right. And so uh, the, the fact is that uh, the, the quicker source to getting it right would be to the, be removing and removing and removing these continual rules and regulations and getting back down to something that people can actually function under and understand. But uh, the cure is not more ritual, more rule, more regulation, more religion. The cure is not even the washing of the hands. He made that clear. The cure isn't by the washing of your hands. It's not a bad idea in the flu season to, uh, to wash your hands. But, um, you know, it's not, it's not something that's going to affect a cure for the coronavirus that's going around. It's not going to affect a cure you might have a little better opportunity of not getting the flu from washing your hands, but uh, when it comes, it'll pass through the land. And, you know, generally speaking, in any flu, two out of ten people that are exposed to it get it. And so some of us will likely get it at some point in time. But uh, we, we certainly, you know, uh, are not going to obliterate and eliminate the possibility of the flu by simply washing our hands and the disciples learned the same thing. It's not by the washing of one's hands that one becomes clean inside. It's got to be different than that. Brother Sam was back here in the choir today, and, and I was sitting down, and we were talking about, uh, you know, the 
um, uh, the shaking hand, handshake and time and so forth like that and, the, and everybody, uh, you know, getting the sanitizers and so forth out like that. And he pulled out a little one-ounce bottle. There it is right there, <laughs> that one-ounce bottle. He tried to sell it to me for $10, you know. <laughs> I said, I'll take the coronavirus instead. <laughs> Save my 10 bucks, you know. <laughs> but, uh, we, we tease each other. Along those lines, and uh, you know, stocking up on toilet paper and stocking up on water. I was wondering, stocking up on water. You, you know, you, do you think the tap water will kill you? <laughs> you know, it won't kill you. you. You'll live through it. I, I was raised on tap water and then lived through it, and so <laughs> lived to tell about it. You know, so, so, uh, but uh, you know, toilet paper, stocking up on that. You can't eat toilet paper. You probably, <laughs> probably better stock up on stuff you can eat if you're going to be stuck in a house for two weeks. You know, so, so. Uh, but anyway, the washing of hands, you know, washing the hands, it's, uh, it, it can help. It can make a difference maybe in some small degree, but, uh, but the cure for the virus is somewhere else than just the washing of the hands, isn't it? Uh, and in this case, the washing of the hands of disciples to fulfill the um, tradition of the elders to satisfy them had nothing to do with the defilement that the, that the elders accused the disciples of getting into. They accused them of being defiled because they hadn't washed their hands. And Jesus said, you got that all wrong. You got that entirely 180 degrees out of sync. What defiles you is what comes out of your mouth, not what goes into your mouth. And so he made it very clear to them that the case was, the need was, the cure was give attention to the heart rather than to the hands. And that's so, so important. I said this morning how Peter warmed his hands, but his heart grew cold, you know. And so it is important for us to recognize where the source of the trouble is and deal with it at the source. Charlotte asked me the other day on Saturday, she said, Papa, why did Grandma call you an idiot? <laughs> <laughs> She's asked me that four or five times. <laughs> I could have said, I should have said maybe, well, I guess that's what's in her heart. <laughs> but I didn't. I said, you'll just have to ask Grandma that. <laughs> so you'll have to ask Wendy too why she would call your pastor an idiot. Why would she do that? <laughs> I think she had her reasons. <laughs> But maybe Wendy needs to be at the altar tonight. <laughs> so, truth is, we all have our uh, times where our uh, mouth and our heart don't match up. And the fact is that we all need to come to the place where we say, Lord, help me. I know I need the help of God to, to uh, be able to have what comes out of my heart be that which is bringing praise and honor and glory to the Lord. Uh, and that which comes out of my lips and uh, across my teeth and out of my tongue, I want that to be more like what would please the Lord and honor Him and fulfill His commandment rather than trying to simply observe the commandments of men and please men. Uh, God help us to have a, a heart that is clear and clean of all these defilements and these sins that we find that are harbored in our heart that come out through our speech, our conduct, our pride, 
our uh, uh, the way we we live our lives. And so, the Lord may the Lord help us to to uh, respond as uh, our Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God leads us. Let's stand together and we give an invitation uh, tonight. If you need to respond tonight at the altar, you come. If you want to take some time in prayer there, where you at? That's fine too. But sometimes if we spend a moment at the altar, it's uh, it. Um, has a tendency to have a more lasting effect in our mind and heart to that, uh, uh, be that as it may, it's between you and the Lord. And so let the Holy Spirit guide you on that. We're going to sing 292, nothing between my soul and the Savior, 292. Have a word of prayer first, and then if you need to respond tonight, you come. Father, we pray that you'd help us to understand the importance of keeping clean in our heart, in our mind, in our soul, and to re realize that the way we talk and the way we uh, conduct our lives is about what's coming out of our heart, not what's going into our mouth. So I pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us to, uh, to be responsive to your Holy Spirit's leading. I pray that you'd help us this week to uh, keep ourselves unspotted from the world and to uh, have a speech that is pleasing to thee and let our conversation, our conduct in life be honoring to you. Help us, Lord, to Reflect the love of Christ in our hearts rather than the love of self. We ask your blessing on the invitation now that you'd guide us as we respond according to your Holy Spirit's leading. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.